hello and welcome to Worship at Schweitzer. We are so glad that you've joined us. We've got a great time of worship planned out today. We're kicking it off with some songs and then we're going to have a, a sermon from Pastor Spencer and we're going to take a look at joy. We're going to have a short series on joy and we're going to look at joy in the morning, joy at noon, and joy in the evening. So we are so glad that you joined us. We are looking forward to what is ahead. There are still a few weeks of summer left. Vacation Bible School, you can host a block party or if you're close to a block party that's happening, you can have your kid sign up and be a part. Just follow the link below. Talk to our kids director, Nina Verbanas. She'd love to hook you up with VBS block parties. They're a great time. Coming up in September, we're going to have a new sermon series called Jesus is Greater. It's going to be a look at Paul's letter to the Colossians. To go along with that sermon series, a number of writers from Schweitzer have gone together with an artist and we've produced a, a resource guide. And the resource guide has got devotionals in it, it's got prayers in it, it's got questions. It is going to be something for each and every one of us to grow in, in our walk with Christ. Also, it's going to be a way in which we can pull people together and we can be clustered in groups, whether in person or virtually, and we can grow through this sermon series together as we look at, at uh, God's letter and God's good news and who Jesus is. We would love for you to be a, a group leader, a host, or somebody who leads the discussion. If you're interested in either one of those things, if you're interested in being a part of a life group, building a life group, We'd love for you to sign up to be a part of the Life Group Leader Experience coming up in August. Next week is the first Sunday of the month. And at Schweitzer, for a long time, the first Sunday of the month has been a communion Sunday. Next week, we're going to have communion online and in person. If you are in the Springfield area and you'd like to receive some communion elements, you're welcome to stop in at the office from 8.30 to 5, Monday through Friday, and pick up those elements. If you're a distance from Springfield, We'd love for you to have some of the elements ready around you for communion next Sunday. And as we anticipate that day, let us all lift up our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive God's goodness that he's going to bring to us in that time of celebrating his gift of grace to us in the person of Christ. Today, as we worship, we invite you to chat or you can enter the prayer room and somebody would be happy to pray with you in that space. We are so glad that you're here today. We're so glad that we can worship together. Let's enter into worship.
One of the great invitations Jesus gives us is the invitation to pray. And one of the things Jesus says to us is that we don't have to have all the great words. We don't have to have great prose. What we need is we need to have a heart that is open to the Father and a heart that is open to both receive and to give God praise and to listen to God and really to be um, transparent with, with the Father. So as we come to a time of prayer today, I'd like to invite us to pray about three different things. First, I'd like to invite us to pray with, heart, uh, with thankful hearts. The Lord is good and the Lord is kind to us. And so today, we oftentimes, as we go throughout our days in this season, we think about all the things that we're missing, but there are so many ways that God's grace comes to us. So I'd like to invite us to pray with thankful hearts rejoicing in God's goodness that is all around us. So I'd just like to pause for just a couple minutes and I'd like to invite you to look around. And what do you see and what do you hear? And how does God's goodness reach out and touch you? And let's lift that up to the Lord. Let's pray together. One of the things that we've been missing in this season is our ways that we've been accustomed to connecting with other people, from family to the people we work with to the people we worship with. We've been missing connecting with others. So today, we all know that, uh, or it looks anyways, that it's going to be a while for those customs to return. So let's pray for one another. Let's lift up our sense of missing that and missing connecting with the church in the ways we've been used to. And also, let's invite the Lord to show us new ways that we can connect and to make our hearts open to that. Would you invite the Lord to do that in your own life? Let's pray. The third thing I'd like to invite us to pray about today are decisions. We're coming close to the end of summer. There are all kinds of decisions that people in all kinds of different walks of life are trying to make. This has got to be one of the most difficult moments in time for moms and dads and kids and people who are getting ready to go to college and people who are leading colleges and universities and people who lead in in the workforce and people who lead in government and business. There's all kinds of decisions that are, that are needing to be made. And this is one of the most difficult times to make decisions. So if you're a decision maker, I'd invite you to take all of those things that you're trying to, to make decisions on and give them up to the Lord. And for those of you who are relying upon the decisions of others, I'd invite you 
to lift up those people to the Lord. Because this is one of the hardest times to make decisions. So let us together lift these things to the Lord and look for the Lord's wisdom to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. Let's pray. now I'd like to invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Caring Hearts is a mark of who Schweitzer is. A couple of weeks ago, we were able to celebrate the life of a beloved dad, husband, and member of Schweitzer because of the generosity of of people who called this their church home. Thank you so much for responding to God's work in your life, for sharing your tithes and your offerings with this community and with the community around here, with, with the world. Thank you for having a caring heart. The Lord bless you.
my Savior, I come to The series 52 Stories has been telling stories all year long of how God has been impacting the lives of people of Schweitzer. Today, we get to hear the story of Judy Vincent. Let's listen. Um, Well, Sunday night, we have our own service. And then on Wednesdays, we have a service in our life change program, our group. I used to be here every Sunday morning. Um, Sunday school class and uh, radicals. I grew up as a child in church. My mother made sure every Sunday that no matter what, somehow we would get to church. And as a teenager, I was doing very well. I ended up going to a church on my own without my family, my mother and them. And then some things happened, um, and I ended up leaving church. And from time to time in my adult life, I have attempted to make that connection. So this is what hurts me the most right now, is that I was able to get my, my kids into church long enough to get them to understand somewhat of what it was about. And they were baptized, and then things in my life would start falling apart again. And so what really hurt was they're still lost. My children have suffered. My relationships have suffered. I've hurt a lot of people. Um, and myself. And God found me and said, no, I'm not giving up on you. I believe that I'm here for a reason, to tell everybody who my Jesus is, and that if he can love me, he can love you, and that he will never give up on you, no matter how angry you get and how far you try to run away. I'm very grateful for the people here. My name is Judy Vincent, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor here. Today, we're going to start a new series that we're simply calling uh, Joy. We're going to spend three Sundays exploring uh, three different ideas that the Bible teaches us about joy. And and to get this started, I I want to start with just a, a simple confession. I'm tired. 
Like, not like I need to go take a nap kind of tired or I need to sleep in tomorrow kind of tired. Like, I'm just weary and exhausted. And um, 2020 makes me think that I don't know if we can take much more of this. Uh, pandemics and racial injustice and a presidential election and division is like all over the place. And, and I find myself just utterly exhausted. And I wonder if that sounds familiar to anyone else. July in particular has been one of those months that I just, I feel the weariness growing because for me, maybe you're smarter than me, but for me, July was the realization that we are in this pandemic for the long haul. I had this hope, right, May and, and June that things were maybe turning around, but once July hits and cases start to rise, I'm, I'm thinking to myself and realizing finally that this is not something that's going to be um, just a matter of weeks. This is a matter of months, and, and this is something that we're in for the long haul, and I can just feel the weariness and the exhaustion just build. And so coming from that, I, I've been thinking for the last month a lot about this idea of joy. Not because I'm necessarily feeling a lot of it, but because I, I feel like maybe God's stirring this, some thoughts in, in about this idea of joy, that, that joy is this gift that God gives us, this, this, nature, this part of the nature of who God is. And, and yet in the midst of pandemics and racial injustice and a divisive presidential election and all kinds of ways that we find to divide from one another, I, I find myself being drawn back to this idea of joy joy and and how is it that I can live in deeper and deeper elements of joy and ways of living in joy. And so today, just full disclosure, um, this message I want to give to you today is is really based on a lot of self-reflection for myself. And in a lot of ways, I'm just preaching to myself today as I need to remind myself and speak to myself some truth. And so as we work through this today, I I just want to share with you um, some truth that I've been thinking through. And so we're going to start today in Psalm 30, get this sermon started in Psalm 30. Psalm 30 has this famous passage about joy. It says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Maybe you've heard that before. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So Psalm 30 has this this expectation that joy is coming, that God is going to give joy. It's this expectation of joy. So we're going to explore that that today, this this expectation of joy that we can have. Um, And in that, I also want to share with you a a practical, very practical way that this expectation of joy can can really actually change the way that we live. And so today, we're going to explore this expectation of joy. We're going to read through Psalm 30, not just that famous verse of weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we're going to start, it's 12 verses long, we're going to start at the very beginning of Psalm 30. In fact, we're going to start even before verse 1, because in my Bible, I'm reading from the NIV translation, uh, my Bible begins the psalm with a little kind of like a description of who wrote Psalm 30. And uh, in, in the original Hebrew, this description was verse 1. And then verse two was what the English versions call verse one, and, and it kind of goes staggered from there. But, but I want to start with the description, because this description that's, that's here, this almost like a footnote, is really fascinating as we, as we begin this. So here's what you would start if you'd start at the very beginning um, of Psalm 30. You'd read this, Psalm 30, and then the description would say, a psalm, a song, for the dedication of the temple of David. And so right off the bat, we see uh, there's two really important details of Psalm 30. One, who writes it and, and why was it written? So it's written by David and it's written for the dedication of the temple, which is a really fascinating little detail because David didn't build the temple. Solomon, his son, built the temple. David wanted to build the temple, but uh, God said no. Uh, David had this plan to build the temple and, and he, was, he was geared to build the temple because David had been a warrior. God said he had too much blood on his hands and so David was, was not allowed to build the temple. He had this thing that he wanted to do, 
But when he came down to it, he wasn't able to do it. He wanted to do it so badly, he already has the speech written for the dedication of the temple. Like this is something David wants to do so badly, but he can't actually do it. I find it fascinating that just from the description of Psalm 30, this little footnote that's here, what we learn is that Psalm 30, which is about the expectation of joy, was written in the context of disappointment. And this is something that we see over and over and over in the Bible. When the Bible speaks of joy, oftentimes it's written right alongside experiences of disappointment or stress or grief or pain or struggle or sadness. Oftentimes in the Bible, joy, it's, it's independent of circumstances and it's, and it's right in the midst of when life is hard, the Bible also speaks of joy. For instance, let me give you some examples of this. Um, Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Catch that. Joyful even when there is affliction. Joyful in affliction. Now I gotta tell you, usually when I have, feel affliction, I, joy is not the thing that accompanies that. So joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Here's another one. Nehemiah chapter eight, very famous phrase here. Nehemiah eight, verse 10 says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Famous, famous phrase. I've heard so many people quote this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's like on t-shirts and throw pillows and posters and paintings. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But, but I almost never see that phrase quoted with the first part about grief. That even in the midst of grief, there can be joy. Like this doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but this is you know, what the Bible often speaks of is, is how joy is in the midst of these kinds of things. Here's another example, one more. James chapter one, verse two, famous example. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Like this, this makes no sense. James is like, there's joy even in the midst of trials. This, this feels so backwards. And yet this is how the Bible oftentimes speaks of joy, that in the midst of pain and struggle and stress and grief and disappointment and worry, there can still be joy. Because for the writers of the Bible, our circumstances are not the things that influence our joy. They're independent of one another, which feels so backwards for us because what, what feels natural for us and what the world has taught us is that there is a straight line between our circumstances and our joy. Life is good, straight line, I'm happy, there's joy. Life is hard, I'm stressed out, I'm worried, uh, there's, there's questions, there's doubts, there's, there's weariness. Straight, I'm not gonna be able to draw a straight line to joy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find myself grieving or sad or worried. Like I, You're not gonna be able to connect these kinds of things, but in the Bible, Oftentimes what you find is that right in the midst of stress and grief and pain and affliction and trouble and trial, there is still the capacity for joy. There's still the capacity for joy. And it makes me wonder just, we haven't even gotten into the text of Psalm 30 yet, but it makes me wonder just from the footnote of Psalm 30, it makes me start to ask myself, I wonder how in the last, what, five months, how have I let my circumstances steal the joy that God wants to give me? How have I let my circumstances steal the joy that God desires for me to live in? So now let's get to this. Psalm 30, verse one, finally, verse one. Here's how it goes. David writes, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Verse two, Lord, my God, 
I called to you for help and you healed me. I want you to notice that word there, healed me. There is this consensus among scholars that Psalm 30 was was probably written on the tail end of a pandemic. Like the biblical word, of course, is plague. But it was probably written on the tail end of the pandemic. There's a lot of scholars who believe that this is written towards the end of David's life and he's dealing with the disappointment of not being able to build the temple. There's been this plague. There's one reference in 2 Samuel and that's, that Psalm 30 is being written out of that kind of pain and struggle. And I just, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that's just what scholars believe, but that is incredibly fascinating to think that what we're reading here is written because of a pandemic and the questions and doubts and fears and struggles that it brings out, that, that this is the, the context of what we're reading here, that the, the capacity for joy is still written in the midst of a pandemic and disappointment. So let's keep going here. Verse three, um, you, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. Again, pandemic language. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then comes this very famous phrase, Weeping may last for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Catch this. There is an expectation David has that joy is coming in the morning. There is an expectation of joy. Whatever it is that he's going through here, whatever the disappointment might be from not building the temple, the, the, the struggle that might have come along with this pandemic, or whatever it is that he's facing, I want you to see this. David has an expectation of joy. He knows that when God comes, there is there's redemption, there is new life, there is hope, there is joy that, that God brings. There's an expectation of joy. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. When I felt secured, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Verse 11, listen again. You turned my wailing into dancing. This is the expectation of joy. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Praise you forever. David is going through something here. You can't help but read this and see that he's going through something. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's the disappointment from not building the temple. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's something else altogether. It doesn't really matter what he's going through because at the very least what you can see is that even in the midst of whatever it is he's going through, David has an expectation of joy. Joy comes in the morning. He says, you turn my wailing into dancing. You clothe me with joy. This is what God does. He has an expectation for joy. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why does David have this expectation for joy? Even in in the midst of, of hard times, how is it and why is it that he can have an expectation for joy? And there's probably a few ways you could you might be able to answer that. I mean, you, you might say, well, well, maybe David has an expectation for joy because, you know, David's a really positive person. David's like a real glass is half full kind of person. He's really learned the power of positive self-talk. And maybe that's why David has this, this uh, expectation of joy is he's just learned the power of positivity. And I, I personally think that's not quite it. Like, I think there's something deeper here that David has, that the reason why he has this expectation of joy. Because, because when I look at David, I look at his life, I look at what he's written, I think David has this deep understanding, this deep understanding of, of what God is like and what God does. 
this deep understanding of his character, God's character that, that is shaping David's expectation of joy. I mean, listen to some of the things that David writes in various places. Um, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 5, this is verse 11. David writes, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. So when we take refuge in God, David's like, there is joy in that experience. Psalm 19, verse 8, David writes, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So when we are obedient to God, there is, there is joy. Here's another example. Um, Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That, that in um, the experience of salvation, there is joy. Like, like David has this, this understanding that when we encounter God, there is joy. There is joy when we experience God. There is joy when we follow God. There is joy when we, when we come to know God. There is joy in that experience. There's joy in that experience. And of course there would be joy in that experience because this is what God is like. God is joyful. He's incredibly joyful. This is, this is what David knows and, and why he can have this expectation of God because he knows that when we come encounter, to encounter him, there's this experience of joy because this is what God is like. He is joyful. He is joyful. He, he is full of joy. He looks at his creation as full of joy. And he, this is the, the nature and the character of what he's like. And of course, then um, God is full of joy and, and, he, and he wants to share this joy with us. So it's no wonder that when we encounter God, we experience joy because when we encounter God, he is sharing himself with us. This is like the nature of our relationship with him is that he is so generous. He gives to us um, from himself what he is like. And so it's no wonder that when we encounter him, that there would be joy in that encounter because God is full of joy. God is full of joy. I think about, I think about like, the creation, the world that he has made and how it testifies to how he is full of joy. I mean, only one who is full of joy uh, makes sunsets that are beautiful. Only one who is full of joy creates tropical fish. Only one who is full of joy, only one who's full of joy creates, creates snow-peaked mountains. Only one who's full of joy creates these things and experiences these and gives this to us as, as, as gifts because this is his masterpiece. This is what he does. Um, the great author Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he writes about how joy is an essential component of God's character, an essential component of who God is. And this is how he describes it. I love this quote. I want to share it with you. Dallas Willard writes, he says, God leads a very interesting life and he is full of joy. I don't know if that's a word that you normally use to describe God, that God is full of joy, but this is what God is like, that he's full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and riches. Like Dallas Willard's like, you and I get these like tiny glimpses into the joy of God, but God gets to experience this all of time because this is who he is. He is full of joy. He creates the world, he calls it good. He looks at you and he enjoys you. He delights in you. He doesn't look at you and he's like, 
I'm going to tolerate them. No, he, he delights in you. He doesn't look at you and he's like, meh, eh, I don't know what they do. No, he, he, he delights in you. He enjoys you. He, he doesn't just put up with you. He enjoys you. He doesn't just put up with his creation. He enjoys his creation. This is the nature. This is the character of God. This is what God is like. This is who he is. So I don't know what kind of words you use to describe God, but joy needs to be one of these words. I think about the, the, um, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. I, I wonder why is it that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Because, well, this is the character and nature of God, that God is full of joy. So it's no wonder that David can have an expectation of joy, no matter what it is he's facing, because this is what God is like. He has come to understand that this is the nature and the character of God. And the truth is that when you begin to live and, and understand what God is like, this will change how you actually live. This changes how you actually go about the world and how you think about God and, and what he is like changes the decisions and how you actually interact with the world. Let me give you an example of this, real life, practical example of this. And let's go to Matthew chapter six. And I, I wanna read you something Jesus says. There's a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. There's a principle here that Jesus gives that is absolutely true about the nature and character of God and how it impacts our life. So Gen uh, Matthew chapter six, we'll start reading to verse 25. Here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list. So what are the things you worry about? Don't worry about the pandemic. Don't worry about your marriage. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your in-laws. Don't worry about your family. Don't worry about your, if your job's gonna be there. Don't worry about if school's gonna reopen. Don't worry about those things. Jesus is like, you know, whatever it is you worry about, put it in this list because it's, it's true there too. So don't worry about your life, he says. He goes on, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And of course, the answer to that question is no, of course not, because the only thing that worrying accomplishes is nothing. It accomplishes nothing. He goes on, he says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, you could hear what Jesus says here. You could think to yourself, okay, do not worry. Don't worry about my life, what I'll eat or drink, or whatever it is you worry about, right? My pandemic, my marriage, the, my, my job, is my job being furloughed? You know, whatever, school reopening, whatever it is you worry about. Don't worry about those things. You could, you could hear that and you could hear Jesus saying, hey, don't worry about those things you normally worry about. And so you could think to yourself, okay, this week, I'm gonna try really, really hard not to worry. I'm gonna really focus on not worrying. I'm gonna do my best, my absolute best not to worry. And, and, and some of you who are worriers, you're gonna hear that and you're gonna get worried about not worrying because even that's gonna stress you out because you're gonna be so focused on not worrying that you're gonna worry about have I worried. And, and you, could, you could take that approach and, and you could try really, really, really hard that this week I'm not gonna worry. Um, but, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying really, really at all. I don't think Jesus is telling you, hey, hey, try your very hardest not to worry this week. 
Now, when I read what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, what I hear him saying is, hey, God is so good, and he looks upon you with such love, and, and he sees you with such value that there's no point in spending your time in worry. Jesus is, is asking us and telling us here to recast our lives away from worry onto the goodness of God, to rest in his goodness. And, and, and this is how we stop worrying is, is not when we try really, 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 really hard not to worry anymore, but rather is when we begin to rest and understand what God is like. You see, what Jesus gives us here is a principle that is true for all the attributes of God. You could hear a sermon on joy and you could think to yourself, hey, this week I'm going to try really, really hard not, not to be sad, not to be stressed out, not to be fearful, and instead to be joyful. And I'm going to be really, really hard to, to really have positive thoughts and, and, and glass half full kinds of thinking. I'm going, to, I'm going to turn that frown upside down is what I'm going to do this week. You could try really, really hard to do this, but, but that's not how we actually live into the life God wants for us. Instead, what if we took this approach? And we understood this basic fundamental truth about God, that God is full of joy. And that when he looks at you, he delights in you. And that God enjoys you and he loves you and he wants to give to you everything that he is. I mean, this is the proof and the truth of the gospel of the empty grave that God is giving to us his life, that he wants to fill us with his spirit, that he wants us to live in abundance of life. Therefore, we don't have to live in the midst of, of the pain and stress and worry and, and anxiety that the world lives in. We can instead rest in the goodness, the love and the joy of God. He wants to give to you his very goodness and his joy. He wants you to receive this. You see, one of the reasons why the Bible places joy right alongside pain and worry and stress and grief and the trials of life is because those things are not the whole story. When we belong to Christ, we belong to him who, who is eternal, who is full of joy, and he is sharing with us his goodness and his life. You see. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning for one simple reason, because God is full of joy. And when you belong to him, when you've given your life to him, when you've put your trust in him, you can have an expectation that whatever it is that might be going on around you, it's not the whole story, because you belong to him who is full of joy joy comes in the morning. We can have an expectation of joy because he is full of joy. Let's pray together. And so God, this morning, today, we just thank you for your love, your joy, your peace, your goodness that you have shared into our lives. There is so much right now that we can be anxious about and worried about and fearful about and depressed about and weary about, but we know that you are not those things. Instead, that you are joy. And because you are full of joy, we don't have to pretend, we don't have to put on a brave face, but rather we can bring every single thing that, that worries us, that is painful to us, that is stressful to us, every single thing that keeps us up at night, we can bring this to you with confidence of, of that we are your children. We can bring this to you knowing that you are the one who is full of joy. And that what you wanna to give to us, or you wanna share with us, 
is your very nature. So we don't wanna just try really hard this week to be joyful, but rather what we wanna do is set our expectation, our faith, our hope, that you would share with us the joy that we need. That we would receive from you everything that we need, that we would depend on you. That instead of trying to do things in our own power, in our own way, in our own time, rather we would submit to you and just ask you, Lord, would you bring this into my life? And so today, for any of my friends, who might be exhausted, who might be worried, who might be weary, any of my friends who might be stressed out, any of my friends who might be sad and depressed, would you today share with them your joy, your goodness, and your love? We thank you that this is not something that we have to create on our own, but rather that the good news of the empty tomb you are sharing your life with us and this is absolutely enough for us we thank you we love you in the name of jesus we pray amen
Friends, it has been good to share this time with you and, and to remember and to experience the joy of God. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this with your friends, your family, this good news message of God's joy given to us. We can't wait to see you next Sunday.